Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Um, today I'm going to be talking a little bit about Henry Kissinger and the period in American uh, diplomacy and in world affairs that lasts from 1968 to about 1975. So that um, the period that um, encompasses Richard Nixon's term in office and that of also Gerald Ford. The late 60s and early 1970s represents something um, quite pivotal in world affairs during this period. It uh, sees the meeting of uh, a number of crises. Um, the period uh, begins with uh, two enormous blows to the respective superpowers of the time, the United States and the USSR. The um, Tet Offensive in Vietnam in 1968, uh, whilst it is uh, defeated by the United States, it's still an enormous blow to American prestige, and the fact that it's broadcast on t uh, television screens every night, and you have uh, North Vietnamese and Viet Minh fighters in the uh, compound of the United States Embassy in Saigon, gives a fairly accurate view of the war to um, American families and the view um, that they hold with some degree of justification is that America will never ever win if after uh, years of fighting the North Vietnamese are still willing to fight fanatically hard in order to liberate their country um, the uh, American public come to the conclusion that it's not a fight that can ever ever be won or, or at such a, an, an imaginable cost to America in lives and money that it's really not worth it. In 1968, the um, period where the West were in any way um, fooled that uh, communism could be reformed or particularly Western left-leaning intellectuals uh, were in any way fooled or misled into the idea that communism could be reformed comes to a crashing end with the Prague Spring in 1968. The decision by Brezhnev to roll in the tanks and put down the Czech um, pro-democracy movement 
is one that uh, ends um, the uh, the vision that communism has anything progressive about it at all. The moment that tanks rolled into Czechoslovakia, uh, 12 years after they had rolled into Budapest, was um, really, in many ways, the kind of the, the beginnings of the end of the communist argument, at least. What would remain throughout the 70s and 80s would simply be a failing totalitarian state um, with a large and unwieldy bureaucracy. Um, the ideas that had sustained the Soviet Union and that had sustained it even under Stalin, um, that there was something uh, progressive and a, a utopian future to which communism strove, um, were finally shattered. And the, the general um, support that uh, communism had enjoyed from Western Communist parties all but withers away. So you have these two fundamental moments for, for both superpowers where you know the emperor's new clothes are, are rather revealed. And we're, uh, later on in this period we're looking at, you ex there are um, massive inflationary pressures. Um, the, Ameri the dollar as the world's reserve currency comes under uh, repeated pressure. Um, the US economy is no longer really able to compete in a way that justifies the dollar um, as being uh, as having its position within the Bretton Woods system um, that it once had, and also the Western world is is uh, put under immense pressure after 1973 or during and after 1973 as a result of the the Yom Kippur War, the third Arab-Israeli conflict, where uh, the Saudis and the rest of OPEC informed um, the Nixon presidency in Washington that it was time to leave the Arabs and the Israelis to sort out um, the continued existence, the issue of the continued existence of Israel uh, between themselves. Uh, Israel was under such dire uh, pressure at the time from Syria and Egypt, who both came very close to um, destroying uh, Israel, um, that Nixon stepped in and armed Israel conventionally as they had been uh, asking for. Nixon famously said, this may be apocryphal, I don't know, um, that the AK-47 could not be seen to be defeating the M-16. There is another reason, however, that America was keen to help the Israelis. Um, the Israelis, by this point, had an atomic weapon and had the um, Syrian and Egyptian armies finally made a breakthrough and uh, marched for uh, Tel Aviv um, they would have used that, you know, there's little doubt that they would have used that nuclear weapon on Cairo or Damascus. Throughout this period, uh, Henry Kissinger occupied two roles within the uh, Nixon and then Ford administrations as the National Security Advisor and then as Secretary of State. So in both instances he had a huge role to play in the shaping of American foreign policy. The conventional view of um, Nixon and Kissinger in this period, um, if we ignore the views that are wildly critical of both of them, um, and that is also a kind of fairly dominant view too, uh, with some 
great degree of legitimacy when you look at the uh, immense bloodshed in uh, Indochina throughout the period. But the the traditional, um, less partisan view of Nixon and Kissinger is that they were the architects of a diplomatic revolution in the early 1970s. Um, the, uh, they, they, in essence, found a world in chaos, um, a Cold War which is in a deadlock, a, an intractable war in uh, Vietnam, and they left... Um, a world where the Cold War was able to be, um, to the tensions of the Cold War were reduced. Nixon had visited both uh, Beijing and Moscow, and America had its exit strategy from Vietnam. And um, the, uh, the, I suppose, the sympathetic view of uh, Kissinger is that uh, whilst he he may have been um, a villain. He was a, a a villain who understood realpolitik, who understood the realities of diplomacy, and was able to um, use them to extend American interests um, and reduce Cold War tensions. Those who make a good case for uh, Nixon particularly say that were it not for the Watergate scandal um, derailing his administration and his legacy. He would be hailed as one of the uh, greatest American presidents, particularly in the diplomatic um, and foreign policy fields. But there is another story to tell um, about these years, and it really revolves around Kissinger himself. Um, Kissinger, as firstly as the National Security Advisor and then Secretary of State, was very good at centralising power for himself. He was able to uh, force professional diplomats, uh, foreign policy analysts and um, other um, essential uh, professionals uh, out of the State Department and reorganise the committees of the um, National Security Council so as to be make himself the uh, sole uh, font of all knowledge. He's very much a kind of like a Cardinal Wolsey type of character for the uh, for the nineteen sixties and seventies. And the problem that this throws up, um, and uh, it creates a very bloody problem for parts of the world, such as East Timor and uh, Cambodia is that Nixon, uh, Kissinger is able to make enormous, long-lasting, significant pol- foreign policy decisions without very much oversight. He has so much knowledge centralised that he is virtually unassailable uh, by the institutions of um, Congress and the Senate that would normally have oversight um, over his role. There is um, a school of thought about Kissinger in this period that um, rather mirrors the the kind of the, the thinking about um, Hitler's decision making. Now, I'm not going to be um, doing one of these ahistorical arguments of trying to compare someone to Hitler. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm what the point I'm making, or I'm going to make, is that Kissinger it was thought to have a long-term strategic vision, just as Hitler was thought to have by many a long-term vision for 
um, the war for his treatment to the Jews and so on and so forth. Whereas both um, figures are far more, there's far more evidence suggests that um, both Kissinger and Hitler were far more impulsive, far more last minute, far more seat of the pants, if you will. Um, and they made a, a policy on the spur. And it's interesting that um, this theory about um, well-known, um, significant figures of the 20th century comes up time and time again. You know, they must have had a master plan. And that's got more to do with how we see things than any reality um, that we're projecting onto the past. Some argue that Kissinger's decision to ignore his foreign policy advisers was quite justified. I mean, after all, these are the foreign policy advisers that had advised successive presidents very badly when it came to the subject of Vietnam and had uh, made cases for war where really um, robust diplomacy would have served both Indochina and the United States far better. Being able to exit Vietnam was the key matter on which Nixon's presidency rested. His election pledge in 1968 of peace with honour, being able to withdraw without humiliation, was something that would be non-negotiable in his dealings with the American people. He would not forgive any failure in this particular regard. And so um, leaving it to the advisers who had made so many errors in the past and who frankly had not a clue about what to do and about how to extricate America um, was not something Nixon was going to be inclined to do and looked to um, fresh blood, looked to um, an original or supposedly uh, original. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. An innovative thinker like Kissinger... Um, who he was happy to um, fate with a great deal of power, influence and autonomy in return for the kind of delivery of of um, an exit strategy that would um, ensure uh, Nixon's presidency continued. 
The ability to have no oversight meant that Nixon could behave in ways that were far more clandestine, such as the secret bombing of Cambodia in 1970, and the um, strategy for um, removing uh, congressional oversight was clearly thought out, clearly mapped between Nixon and Kissinger. Kissinger's secrecy um, had all sorts of other uh, unintended effects. The um, resumption of uh, good relations between China and America shocked Japan. Uh, the Japanese had no idea that this was in the pipeline. Uh, the Japanese had uh, were traditionally very suspicious, very fearful of a large, militant and now nuclear-armed China and had um, the, even the American uh, embassy in Tokyo had no idea that uh, Kissinger was arranging a visit for Nixon to China. The um, diplomatic staff that uh, Nixon had around him were often in the dark um, about various initiatives. And this led um, uh, Kissinger to be able to take the lead on negotiating, where often um, more um, junior members of, the, of his staff uh, would be involved. So he was a, a top-down micromanager. But also, he took the lead on uh, negotiating where Nixon himself was clearly disinterested. Key initiatives, such as the SALT-1 talks, the Strategic Arms Limitation talks, in 1970, uh, were, uh, fell into um, the role, fell to uh, Kissinger to carry out, as Nixon didn't seem to be engaged with it at all. A former CIA man who wrote an account of this period of time and who had a, a great deal of experience in the State Department, William Bundy, uh, wrote of the SALT talks in 1970, It was hardly the way to conduct a major negotiation. A president not really interested, his principal assistant, Kissinger, uh, intervening without the knowledge or the concurrence of the negotiating team, and the team left to fend for itself. Um... Bundy uh, later writes, Kissinger had left many loose ends, another sloppy negotiating performance. So Kissinger is not, in um, Bundy's view, the kind of clinician, the, the kind of um, foreign policy um, mastermind that he is... Um, it is, it is he's portrayed as being. Now, if you were writing an essay about this, and you were writing an essay about um, the American diplomacy throughout the period, it's very easy to rely too much on Kissinger and to rely too much on the myth of Kissinger as an explanation for um, the exit strategy from Vietnam, detente with China, detente with Russia. I mean, he was involved in all these things, and he does have significant um, importance. But it should a different perspective on Kissinger will really flesh out your argument, or really give another view of things. And and I think it's important to bring these um, kind of titanic figures down to the feet of clay that they all have. You know, inevitably, as human beings, uh, that they that they all have. It prevents us from over mythologizing. 
Now, both men do have a penchant for conspiracy, and they are obsessed with centralising knowledge and power. But by doing that, uh, they actually become less effective. Had they um, shared with their various staffs what they were doing, um, much of their negotiating may well have been more effective. Uh, Nixon seems to be disinterested in negotiations in general, and uh, Kissinger is a, um, a, a fascinated by the process of, of negotiation. When it comes to the topic of Cambodia, um, the authorization of 3,600 B-52 raids against what was thought to be a series of Viet Cong bases in uh, Cambodia, um, uh, op- operating um, across the border into the south, um, leaves a, a kind of a disastrous legacy, not just of the um, you know the the horrific damage done uh, through the bombing, but also um, the resultant development of the Khmer Rouge, which um, senior Khmer Rouge commanders were quite candid afterwards. Um, they uh, let our, they they were quite explicit in saying that it was the bombing that made them able to. Um, Take take over the country. Prior to that, they are this uh, kind of eccentric fringe movement of Maoist guerrillas. Thereafter, they're a mass movement. In 1974, um, it, it was directly attributable to the rise of the Khmer Rouge, and it was directly attributable to the uh, the, the uh, secretive behaviour of both Nixon and Kissinger is uh, directly responsible. The point that Bundy makes about this um, is this. He says, General Vogt, the commander of the US 7th Air Force, and most of the senior civilians involved, including Ambassador Swank, believe that the bombing kept uh, Alon Nol afloat in the face of the 1973 Khmer Rouge offensive. It may have been crucial in enabling the government forces using artillery to hold their central enclave including Phnom Penh, into 1974 and eventually into the early spring of 1975. Massive air power used against a lightly armed attacking force with no anti-aircraft capability could be effective in preventing victory for the opposing force. On the other hand, the intensity of the bombing, as a matter of common-sense judgment shared by many objective observers, drove the Khmer Rouge to greater military efforts. It also made the more self-reliant, more separate from North Vietnam, more alienated from Sihanouk, um, and altogether less subject to influence from any of their communist supporters. This is the, the Khmer Rouge, so it made for the it, it helps to radicalize the Khmer Rouge. The bombing surely made it more rather than less difficult for any party to persuade the Khmer Rouge to accept a ceasefire and to negotiate a political compromise, which was the stated objective. The chances of, of um, such a change, of course by the Khmer Rouge were almost certainly slim already. A determined negotiating effort to enlist Sihanouk, this is Prince Sihanouk, the uh, ruler of um, Cambodia, combined with a much more limited programme of bombing to keep the threat alive, might just have stood a chance. As it was, intense bombing with no negotiated effort until the Khmer Rouge was even more embittered was the worst of all worlds. As throughout the American involvement in Cambodia, the policy miscalculations alone 
apart from eventual congressional reactions, were monumental. They must be laid squarely at the door of Nixon and his two principal advisers, Alexander Haig and Henry Kissinger. A far less well-publicised um, and yet equally as bloody uh, foreign policy disaster began in March 1971 when the Pakistani dictator Yahya Khan violently suppressed riots in East Pakistan, subsequently which became Bangladesh. Uh, millions of refugees fled into India and tension mounted all year round until in December when um, the Pakistanis dispatched large numbers of troops to quell discontent in East Pakistan, fighting breaks out between India and Pakistan on the northwest frontier, on India's northwest frontier. Um, this lasted for a few weeks until the Pakistani forces were surrounded and surrendered and withdrew. And East Pakistan then declares its independence as Bangladesh, leaving a defeated um, and humiliated um, and much reduced Pakistani state. Throughout this crisis, it was the um, United States' position to support Yahya Khan, um, a violent, brutal um, autocrat, um, a dictator. And it's questionable, um, immediately, it's hard to see at first glance what America, what their um, possible advantage could be in this. And the answer's simple. Pakistan was being armed by China, was a, seen as a client state of China and a good friend of China, and it had been through Pakistan that, the, that um, Kissinger's back channels to China had first been established. And um, the... Uh, status of India in the Cold War was far more ambiguous. Nehru, um, uh, during his lifetime, had um, steered um, the steered India perilously close to um, a, a relationship of sorts with India, with uh, the Soviet Union, and um, India still in the nineteen seventies had distinct Soviet sympathies. Kissinger breezily dismissed the conduct of Yahya Khan um, by saying, well, you know, it's really none of our business how they conduct their domestic affairs. But the uh, statistics vary wildly as to how many people were killed in um, East Pakistan. Um, the most credible... Um, modest and moderate figures suggest something like about 300,000 but um, upper limits suggest possibly 3 million As a, and certainly there was a, a recognised genocide took place during the last days of Pakistani rule uh, over the Bengalis so I suppose in the final analysis there, there does appear to be a relationship between this secretiveness the centralisation of power, centralisation of decision-making, and the ability of these two pivotal Cold War figures, Nixon and Kissinger, to be able to make arbitrary foreign policy decisions which have catastrophic consequences far, far away from uh, Washington, D.C. And yet also um, the uh, decisions taken by them do appear to have had some considerable impact on reducing Cold War tensions overall. 
Um, the uh, Explaining History series is um, expanding pretty soon. We've got uh, a new ebook by Tyrell Eskelson coming out, The American Century. We're just uh, waiting for that to hit the digital shelves. And also, uh, new additions to the Explaining History series. We're launching a new um, series of ebooks in January called Study Essentials, which is designed to give uh, students the, the very basics um, in a very thorough way on uh, issues such as the Paris Peace Conference and the Russian Revolution of 1917. So keep your eye out for those and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thank you much. Bye bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 